Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. So thank you once again, viewing audience, for joining us in another episode of the Black Letter Podcast. Today with me, I have three guests. I have Lisa Roden, Rob Ray, and Amy McKinney. Lisa is a content creator and producer who works with Rob Ray. Rob is a former U.S. Navy Admiral, and he runs a company now called Blue Star, which works with people to assist them aging in place. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. And Amy McKinney, our own Amy McKinney, produced so many of these podcasts over the last few years. And now she's a guest. She uh, used to run the marketing campaigns for a national senior assisted living organization. Lisa, I'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about content creation, what you do, and how you've worked with with Rob's company, Blue Star. I do a range of things as a content creator. So that comes uh, from sometimes conceiving of ideas to strategizing with a company owner about uh, what they can be doing that they're not doing yet. Then it's coming up with actual ideas of how we're going to reach people through the web. And uh, that can be through various social media. And sometimes it's, we make a video or there's a visual post on Facebook, you know, static things. So I've been working gotcha. with Rob for 20 years in the, in the last, what, seven or eight or so it's been Blue Star. So we've done a range of things together from how-to videos, which I've done most recently for new products to, uh, even animated videos to demonstrate uh, different things. Let me ask this then. So Rob, tell me a little bit about Blue Star. Lisa's been working with you for a while and I understand you help with aging in place. How does that work? What, is, what does Blue Star do? And, and, I, and I have to ask, since you've got the two stars hanging behind you, tell us a little bit about your career and what drove you to, to this industry and what you do today. Everybody who spends 35 years in the Navy collects a certain amount of stuff. It all sits in boxes in the attic. And then when they retire, if they're lucky, their wife lets them hang it up on the wall in the basement. My office with the doors shut so that the cats and grandchildren are staying outside the door, that I get to hang up flags and I have all kinds of other things hanging up on the walls. That's why that's there. It just happens to be the backdrop of our video this morning. So I was in the Navy for a long time uh, and retired as a two-star admiral. And when I was in my 50s, retired. And my wife, Mary Ellen, and I were fortunate enough to have parents in their 70s and 80s and 90s. And we didn't live with them and they didn't live with us. And we looked across all of our 50-year-old, 50-something friends, and everyone we knew was dealing with aging parents. And uh, Amy is, is nodding her head now because she's been there, done that. And so we founded a company called Blue Star Senior Tech to provide simple technologies to help families 
help take care of aging mom and dad in their homes. We try to keep them safe and healthy and connected using a variety of uh, simple technical systems that, uh, that have all been invented in the past 10 years or so. So we have about 5,000 clients or customers across the country. Uh, we're growing rapidly because it's a huge market. The senior market is huge. And there's about 15 or 20 million 50-something adult children trying to take care of another 20 million uh, aging parents. And so it's a huge, huge market that will only get more huge as America continues to age. So that's the short answer. And I think it's a great market right now because, um, as we all know, with COVID-19 and the social distancing, people that are have their loved ones in a you know, facility or community cannot see them right now. So I know from talking with many of the people that I used to work with that a lot of people are going back to this home model, right? Because at least then they know they're, they're by themselves and they can interact with them. Because if you have a mom or dad that's in a community in, in Leesburg or Tulsa or wherever, you're not allowed to see them. The model of kind of returning back home is, is a popular one. My mother and my mother-in-law are both aging in place in their homes. And for example, you know, Rob's technology would be wonderful in that uh, my mother-in-law last year went out to get the newspaper, fell, broke her hip, um, and it was a year-long process to get her back with a lot of work to actually get her so that she could stay at home. We actually tried to have her be in a community for a respite period, and she was just extremely unhappy. So we do whatever right. we can do to keep, you know, keep our moms you know, in their homes. Lisa, just to bring it back to you in content creation and your interface with Rob. So today we mentioned, as we were talking about it before the show a little bit, you guys have faced some legal challenges, things you've had to deal with, things you might have to deal with in the future. And just for our podcast viewers, let's frame that issue. So what are some of the challenges you guys have faced, either Rob or Lisa, with creating content and with putting the business forward and getting this aging in place business to work? From a content creation standpoint, I can't say that we've we've faced legal issues, but we do have ongoing legal concerns for me as a, as a content creator that okay. mostly my clients don't ever know about, and that's because I'm doing everything in the background to make sure that I'm creating something for them that is legal. When you're working with products you're trying to sell to older Americans or veterans, which has been a focus of the sales for, for uh, Blue Star. Right. Finding imagery that you can use that's legal to use in promotional items is, is a little tricky. And if you can't find it, you have to create it yourself and just to be on the safe side. And I'm very much aware of Blue Star's imagery uh, as, a, as a client and, and that they're very much better in focus. They give back a lot of money to, you know, veteran groups and that kind of thing. And so I want to make sure that they're never questioned about, you know, using an image that they, doesn't belong to them. Making sure that we're working within that framework can be a little tricky sometimes. And it, it can be frustrating, too, because it seems like the, the laws in terms of intellectual property on the web are sometimes difficult to navigate and understand. I try to stay towards websites where I know that the, the licensing agreements are very simple 
and very straightforward and very generous because, you know, when you're working with a small business, they can't afford to pay hundreds of dollars for an image that's going to be, you know, on screen for a couple of seconds in a video. But understanding that those licensing agreements can be kind of challenging for me as a content creator. And I think that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you on your podcast, because I'd like to understand those a little bit more. And it seems like they're changing and it seems like the web is still a bit of the wild west in terms of image usage. You know, you see people using things inappropriately all the time or using, you know, music that they're not supposed to use in a place and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And I think we need to be more aware or reminded of what the rules are with respect. The easiest thing to remember for everybody is that in the U.S., as soon as you create anything, you take a picture, you write something down, you, Lisa, post something on the web or Rob writes an article, you have copyright rights on creation. So copyright is automatically created. It's You get a copyright as soon as you create it. It's not perfected and you can't sue anyone yet. But what happens on your receiving end is you see those photos and those photos, 100% of them are owned by whoever took those photos and created those photos, unless they conveyed them to someone else. No photo anywhere are you allowed to use on the internet unless you specifically have a license to do so. That's kind of like ground zero. And that's where people get tripped up. And we see those, I don't know if you've seen these, the Getty Images letter, pay us $1,500 or $3,000 because... Uh, you've taken their image and they're, they're well within their rights. And so that's the other challenge. It seems like, oh, these are photo trolls. And I get that feeling from businesses when they tell us, hey, we just got a letter from Getty Images. But you have to remember, you're a content creator. You wouldn't want someone swiping a, a segment of your video. So it's kind of playing, if you want to all play in the same sandbox, you've got to follow, look at 17 USC 101, the copyright statute, and think about, okay, well, I wouldn't want someone taking my content. So I understand that. And Lisa, I have to say, you're doing it the right way by making sure that anything you use is licensed. And that's why you haven't gotten that letter yet. But I will tell you that thousands of those letters go out every month, maybe even every day from various image owners. And it's, it, it's big business. And at the same time, part of the Wild West feeling you're getting, I think, and I'll you know talk to you guys if you've run into this, is that some of these image owners are making so much money off this that... Clearly, you don't have a license to use the image, but they're not making it easier for you to understand you don't have a license. Some of the legal issues have been challenging. It's just the collection of legal requirements for a small business now really is significant. I mean, I ran a 10,000-person organization, and we had 20 attorneys working for me. And now I'm running a 15-person organization, have no attorneys. Uh, Obviously, we have attorneys outside the building. And so we have to deal... On a regular basis, we have HIPAA issues, we have PII or, or um, private information issues, we have some IP, but not so much. Most of our IP arguments are me finding a, an image on Google Images and then wanking to Lisa that we can't use it. And so Lisa has been our, our guard dog in terms of trying to keep us uh, out of jail for inappropriate uses of that. You talked about the the photo trolls in we do a lot of phone sales. And so there's a thing called TCPA, the Telephone Communications Consumer Protection Act. And it basically says yeah. you can't call people inappropriately. But there are TCPA trolls around the country who specifically will have 30 phone numbers 
and they hope that one of those phone numbers will be inappropriately called, and then they immediately sue. And so we haven't had any problems with that, but some of our subcontractors have, and then it flows back up to us. We're always creating content, which then has its own IP issues because we're always either selling or educating or servicing. We're launching on QVC this this month. And so we're going to have a huge amount of QVC people going to the website after they have purchased from us. And Lisa was helping us to create videos and then other written content that will help to explain how things work. So it's uh, there's a lot of communication going on in business nowadays, and there's a lot of legal things going on in business nowadays. It's not easy. And, and I'm sympathetic with the the small business administrations and the other chambers of commerce and such that say that the collective weight of legal requirements on small business can be formidable. And I like to think that I'm a pretty smart and pretty experienced guy who's been around the block. I can't imagine how a 24-year-old that's never been in business or doesn't have master's degrees from business schools is opening a pizza joint and and keeping up with the plethora of requirements. Obviously, we want people to abide by the rules, but I'm telling you from personal experience that the collective rules can be a challenge unto itself. And we're constantly getting dinged from government authorities saying, hey, how come you didn't send in this report? Or how come you didn't do that? And we didn't not do it on purpose. We just did it because we don't have a staff attorney or a staff uh, paralegal that that does that stuff all day long, but I almost could employ someone just in in compliance. Lisa, as a content creator, whether it's working with Rob or other clients, what are the three pieces of advice you have for other content creators when it comes to thinking about what to use, what not to use? What what is your process? What are what are two or three things that you think if I if I could say take this away from our our podcast today that. These are the things you've learned in your 20 plus years. Well, first, you have to understand how the media is going to be used. What does the client plan on using it for? And, and for example, you know, it's one thing to make a little video that's going to go on Instagram and you're going to source stuff for that and, and knock it out because the licensing for that is relatively straightforward depending on where you get the, the stuff from. Now, if your client decides later, Oh, I really like that. I'd like to print that, you know, a piece of that video as a, you know, within a, a document, within a brochure that gets, you know, printed a hundred thousand times. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, we, we did not have the licensing to do that. Um, so it's helping, helping the client understand that there are limitations with respect to how something can be used and that the rules change depending on what that image is and where it came from. The second thing would be just having a sort of, I have a stock of several websites that I know I can go to for easy content that, you know, I don't have to question, you know, things like Pixabay are great because, uh, or Pexels, there really aren't any rules. They're like, here, use this. There are no ramifications for using it. Typically, if I'm using an image, I'm also modifying it which can change the laws around it as well. So if you've right. been able to you know, modify the image, it becomes a different image and you're oftentimes out of, out of the woods depending on where you got it from. The third thing would be just you know, to 
communicate honestly with your clients about what the rules are. And, you know, I never like, you know, Rob knows this about me. I don't like to say no. I've, I've learned over time never to say no. I say, that could be challenging to me. Let me come back to you and let you know what I can do. So Lisa, what I take away from what you said is that for you as a content creator, from a kind of legal perspective, you really focus on the source of your content and the rights that are associated with that sourcing. And then you apply that in conversations with your clients. You don't tell them no, but you say, let me get back to you so that you can check the sourcing. And maybe you're going to one of those free websites, the sites that you're comfortable with the content and the licensing around that content. And so those are really the the biggest tips you have is you've got your go-to sites where you know the content is safe. And then you've also got a very keen awareness that images generally aren't just free things that you can take and pick and choose, even if your client wants to use it. So you're very conscious of the sourcing. Is that a, a good kind of summary? Yes. The other thing that comes up is, you know, depending on the small business you're working with, some entrepreneurs have much larger budgets than others. If you know what you're, that you have a budget to, to produce things, there might be just that perfect image out there that, but it's going to cost you a hundred bucks. You have to have that compensation, you know. If I pay $100, there's this licensing that we get with this image. And sometimes that's the perfect one and, and it's worth it to, to make that investment. But other times you say no, but that, that's typically one of the other conversations that can happen and, and how the licensing can change. If you're willing to pay for an image or a video, there are you know, other strata of IP you know, costs or licensing costs. Uh, depend on what you do. So Rob, let me ask you then. So what are the three things that you think, two or three things that you think if all your experiences in as at Blue Star, that if you were to tell an entrepreneur, a 24-year-old kid or a 55-year-old person who wants to start a new business, these are the things you, you just need to know or need to plan for. When it comes to the plethora of legal issues, I would say, number one, as best you can get educated. And the SBA has courses and uh, the local counties have courses and there's books you can read. You don't have to be fluent in HIPAA. You have to know what HIPAA is, basically. And if you're dealing with people's health insurance information, there may be some requirements. You have to understand that every state and county has an unemployment system and that if someone leaves your company there's going to be some paperwork. Uh, you don't, again, have to be fluent in it. Um, right. You have to sort of understand the difference between IP and EEOC and OSHA. And, and, and if you're brand new to business, um, the only way to do that is to read or to work at somebody else's business or to, to take some quickie courses for overview. So that's number one is get smart. Number two is do the best you can to comply. You know, keep checklists, keep decent files, read your mail. The hardest part is reading email because now so much compliance stuff comes in electronically. And so right. easy for a letter to come in. It's from the state. I go, okay, it must be serious. I'm going to open it and leave it on my desk. An email from the state can oftentimes get lost in the ether. So point one, get, try to get smart. Two, do your best to comply. And then three, when you screw up or don't comply, which you will, 
then try to be diligent and try to be earnest and try to be honest. Uh, We had a problem. So I'm an old guy and I've been in business a long time and we've been in this business for five or six years. And I don't know how it happened, but we, we screwed up our personal property tax input form to the state. And we just did it wrong because we had a new accountant and our, our state taxes uh, increased tenfold. Oh boy. Um, And, and I said, wait a second, this is crazy. And then it turns out we went back through the last stuff. Well, just getting that undiddled, which is the technical term, a lot of time with a bunch of state people and multiple letters and emails. And, but if you're earnest and if you're honest, and if you say, Hey, we're, we're not trying to avoid our requirements. We're just dummies who goofed it up. I found that you can, that the, the state people and the county people and the federal people that are all working on these things, they will be responsive. They understand that their systems and processes and requirements can often be Byzantine and bewildering to even the, the most dedicated of small business people. And so if you just face them correctly and say, hey, I messed up or we messed up, how can we right. fix this? Generally, they will bend over backwards to help you up. So get smart, try to be organized enough to comply. And when you don't comply, you know, take your hat in your hand, work it out. Those are not the world's best uh, ways for legal compliance, but that, that's a, a primer for those normal people that are, whose main job is to run their business, not to be legally compliant. You know, so I like that get smart comment you made. I had a conversation with a company that's been around for 20 years. They've grown really well, government contractor. And they said that they'd filed trademarks with their last council and done some privacy policy stuff, some contract stuff. They said they never understood what their attorney was doing. And so our approach to everything, trademarks, is I explain how trademarks work and what the standards are and why you file a trademark and what the law says. Point being is that I think that getting smart is a really, really important piece. And if you can talk to professionals uh, for free or get some advice or counseling from others, that's probably useful in the business space. So the only caveat I wanted to add, Robin, maybe play devil's advocate, is um, when it comes to taking your hat in hand with state authorities, my 10 cents, and I can't help this as a lawyer, and I, I think, Rob, you know, I, I used to be an armor officer, so charge ahead and shoot things, recon by fire as a cavalry <laughs> But as a lawyer, I have to say, take a step back. And before you start telling the state things, talk to a professional, depending on what the accountant, a lawyer, uh, whatever it is in the subject matter first, before you go, hat in hand is a good approach, but you should know what should be in your hands before you start making admissions to the state. Just something to be careful of. Again, I don't, I don't disagree at all, but uh, you know, before I go back to the IRS with like, here's what I think, here's what I did wrong. I always talk to my accountant first because I'm, you know, slightly terrified of the IRS. Uh, so, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, uh, you know, when we were accused of TCPA violations, we involved our attorney because the other side was playing a legal game. And so we didn't want me to go in and screw things up. But I found that most of our transgressions have been paperwork oriented, relatively small, but I, I get your point entirely. And we, we have not had any issues with the IRS, knock on wood. But if we did, we would have our accountant arm in arm with us as we had that conversation. Let's talk now, just jump subjects. One last thing. I know I've kept you guys on for a while, but I'm really interested in hearing from you, Rob, about 
how Blue Star operates, like what a client looks like and what your technology does in a little more detail. And I know Amy's interested and I'd like to just kind of talk about, you know, what you do. We have 5,000 clients, average age is 71, two thirds of them are female, probably 30% of them are veterans. Since we have a veteran focus about the company, including our name, Blue Star, which is a reference to the blue stars that hung in American windows and doorways uh, in World War II, and you'll, you'll still see the blue service star today. We don't have our own technology. We pick and choose from the dozens and dozens of technologies that are available out there. And we're trying to keep mom and dad safe. So that includes things like medical alerts, panic buttons, devices that will notify people if grandma starts to burn down the kitchen because uh, very old cooks tend to forget to turn off the stove and then leave the kitchen for long periods of time. We want to keep them healthy. So that's things like taking the right medicines at the right time because uh, medication adherence is a huge thing with seniors. With my parents-in-law in which he had low blood pressure and she had high blood pressure. So they were each taking oh medicine to adjust it. And they, they each started to take the other's medicine and oh. his blood pressure went to zero and hers went to 500 before we figured out what was going on. So medication adherence is a huge thing. Remote patient monitoring, speaking of COVID, the COVID senior isolation has become a huge deal and tracking people remotely the COVID environment has relaxed telehealth rules. And so, for instance, 80% of seniors over the age of 75 have high blood pressure or hypertension. And you can manage that with a wireless blood pressure cuff that sends that data up to the cloud, which goes to the doctor and can go to the smartphone of the adult daughter. So we want to keep people safe, healthy. And then third, we want to keep them connected. And connection is really, really important. And senior isolation leads to loneliness, and loneliness leads to depression, and depression leads to earlier mortality. There's data that suggests that being lonely can be as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. So how do you deal with that? Well, you have video chat. You have photo frames that show the family and that changes. You uh, Some seniors need help with phones because they can't hear well. So you have a phone that automatically has words across the bottom, like closed captioning on TV so that people can hear and read at the same time. It's figuring out a way for that 85-year-old grandmother to talk to her great-granddaughter who's four years old and 500 miles away. If you've ever seen that happen, that gives a huge endorphic rush, which which is good for everybody. So your company just basically combines all of these and offers them up as a, almost like a, you've gone out and done the research so that the adult child does not have to. They can kind of pick and choose from the best of the best. Yes. And all of them are, are a service. We're not selling a widget. We sell a service, which typically includes hardware, software, some communications medium, and, and back office labor. And people typically pay uh, a monthly fee for it on a subscription basis. But we're not inventing the equipment because there's too many things that involve seniors for us to possibly be good at all, at all of them. Of them. So we're finding all these people that are inventing cool things and we deliver them. We're sort of a value-added reseller on a service subscription basis. 
it's a, a perfect fit for uh, folks that are practicing elder law. And uh, we haven't done as good a job as we should, as, as you know better than me. It's not like we can compensate the attorney for referring us to a client. And so what we found then is it becomes difficult to figure out a way. The attorney doesn't want to be a shill for Blue Star Services. We've said, well, maybe we could have a stack of our brochures in your office. It's just, frankly, hasn't gotten off the ground as much as it should. Yeah, one idea for that would be to do kind of a joint kind of webinar for clients where you That's have true. you know, you do you have the elder law person talk about the the legal stuff and then you offer these services and and you're targeting kind of the you know, 50 to 60 year old probably female because they are more likely to be the person that's in charge of the aging parents. I mean, I know I'm the the person who says to my husband, did you call your mother to, you know, did you call your mother today? Cause I didn't call her yet today. So um, I, I think that that works out, works out really well. Is there anything else anybody wants to add today to the podcast or anything we, we left off issues wise or conversation wise? No, we'd appreciate you having us. Of course. Thank yeah. Thank you guys. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.